If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. There's a ton of greenwashing out there. And I only felt good putting my name and my efforts behind something where I trusted the factory. What we're trying to do is use non-toxic dyes, minimize water usage with the dyes, and work with organic materials. So not easy to have that combination. Not easy to have that combination. So we were able to find it. We did launch five months ago. I kind of say to myself when June 3rd hit, I'm like, oh my God, we're five months young and we're still spitting up on each other. <laughs> we're, we're not even crawling yet. You can use the baby puns. It's yeah, exactly. Welcome back to Bucketless Careers. I'm Crystal Laurie, and this is a part two episode featuring Ronit Weinberg, co-founder and co-CEO of Timo and Violet. Last episode, we spoke to her partner and felt both of them have such intriguing pivot narratives that we dig into each of them back to back. Ronit is a seasoned lifestyle brand executive with a broad range of experience in all facets of the fashion industry, VP of e-commerce and online marketing for designer Diane von Furstenberg, global strategy for Marc Jacobs, Inc., merchandise planning for Tommy Hilfiger, to name a few positions. And she also led a consulting practice focused on business strategy, digital, and omni-channel operations. Accomplished in business, no doubt. And now, having partnered with a friend and fellow powerhouse, Erin Jensen, Ronit is finding consummate professional purpose in launching their new company, Timo and Violet. They make timeless, whimsical baby linens, commission original artwork to create prints from them and then craft them into bibs, towels, swaddles, and more using fabrics that are soft and truly sustainable. Let's listen now to Ronit's journey and unpack how she's built her dream gig. Welcome to Bucketless Careers, Ronit. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's so great to do this back-to-back with your co-founder and co-CEO, Aaron Jensen. And now we get to hear your story as you've only launched a few months ago. And there's so much to dig into in terms of your pivots and what you've built here with Timo and Violet. I, I'm really impressed with the brand and what you've achieved so far. And I know that You have said to me you always wanted to come up with a brand that focuses on creating goods with unique details, timeless design, a purpose to every piece. And the value in that is so clear. But you didn't start here. 
you came to the table as a seasoned lifestyle brand executive. So let's go back in time, try to go behind your resume a little bit and walk us through your journey before your big pivot for me. Sure. I actually started as an intern within a part of the federated program. I just knew post-grad, this is what I wanted to be. This is where I wanted to go. Somehow I wanted to put my name out there in the fashion industry. And that led to a few years in Federated and then later working at Saks Fifth Avenue in many different roles. And at some point it became apparent to me that I wanted to be on the brand side. So fortunately enough, I spent a few years working in different roles at Tommy Hilfiger. And this was back in the 90s. He was on fire. He's still on fire. Tommy is just what Tommy Hilfiger built is admirable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. After Tommy Hilfiger, I spent a few years working at Marc Jacobs, another icon. This was during the time when Louis Vuitton was purchasing Mark by Mark and Mark Jacobs collection. And I ran all of business strategy for Mark by Mark and helped with Mark collection as well as licensing and helped launch Mark by Mark handbags, which became a really large entity on its own. And then I went to Diane von Furstenberg for close to seven years. She is amazing. I have to say, you're smiling as you're telling me this. So that must have been a good period in your career evolution. You know, I've always had good periods. I really knock on wood. Like nice. every experience had its own pros, cons. And then you sort of, when you look back at dots of what happened, you're like, oh, that makes sense. Because now I'm here. <laughs> right. I just loved my the president of Diane Lomfersenberg is this woman, Paula Sutter, who's incredible. And she gave me an incredible opportunity to run all of retail back in 2004, launch one of the first brands on e-commerce. Uh-huh. And back then e-commerce really, uh, I don't even think Bloomingdale's was doing e-commerce. I mean, they must've been doing very little. So you and Erin were both on the forefront of e-commerce to some extent. She got in, in, I think, closer to like 2009 because she had spent all those years in Google and YouTube. Mm. So she was more on the marketing and the ad side. Okay. And then she layered on e-commerce after. So she really has like a lot of layers. I launched Diane's e-commerce site 2004 and worked on it with her until 2010. It was great. There's a term in e-commerce now called omni-channel and we kind of created a faux omni-channel before it was even coined omni-channel because I had the stores underneath me. So I said, really kind of doesn't make sense for us to have multiple inventory Mm -hmm. buckets. Like, why don't we just use what we have in the store? But the technology really wasn't there then. I mean, as it is now, and as we are doing it with Timo and Violet on the Shopify platform back then, you really had to spend enormous amount on these e-commerce platforms. Now it's really easy to do with Shopify and they make it easy for you to do it. Do you feel that you learned a lot there that you were able to transfer to what you're doing now? Yeah. What specifically? I mean, well, first of all, my love for prints Mm. started there and everything, every rap dress story created a, the prints were just beautiful. Every collection had prints. And so working for the other brands, Tommy Hilfiger is very stripe and monochromatic and solids. Marc Jacobs was its own 
beast with a little vintage and everything else. Yeah. But Diane really, she's Prince. It's all Prince. I think my love for Prince started then and along with the history of Prince and what really makes you think of designing a certain print, how between the depth of it right now at Timo and Violet behind me is actually our tropical chinoiserie print. It's beautiful. It's modeled after an 18th century original tropical chinoiserie paper and wallpaper and everything else. And just to give listeners a sense, that could be on your crib bedding, for instance. It is on our crib bedding. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's on our crib quilts. Yes. It is throughout the site. And what we do with our prints is we start with one placement print. And then from there, we kind of pull things out and make repeat prints. And there's like hidden stuff all over. And we just love our prints. Also, at Diane, she gave you the opportunity to explore. And as she kind of also discovered, and we set the tone for social back then, because 2007 Instagram launched, what did that look like for a brand? How did that look like for a brand with stores? Does every store have its own Instagram handle? It was a very exciting time. And then around 2011, I decided to, and this is after I met Erin, we met, she was working at Theory, and we met at a Tory Burch digital party that honored women in digital. Love it. Which was great. And then I ended up going to consult for many different brands that we all still around today. There was a point, I think it was five years ago or so, that you worked with a hotel client that led to a different home decor and furniture projects, a few different ones. And you said you fell in love with the home category. So was that sort of laying the groundwork for your venture? The project for this hotel property was to bring everything that exists within their hotel room. And it's a very kitschy, cool hotel. What they wanted to do was create ready-to-wear clothing. It was just a very, it's a very hip hotel. And from there, I started learning more about the room the actual how much time an interior decor, interior decorator, designer spends on the thought process of a room. And this mm-hmm. room is also modeled into other hotel properties and every property owner, they own their hotel. And so that led to working actually for the hotel interior designer and working on a furniture process for them. If they wanted to take the furniture within their hotel into in this hotel and sell it to the everyday consumer. And then I had another client who also wanted to do adult bedding. And as I spent all this time within the home decor space, I just fell in love with it. It just so happened that at the same time I needed baby gifts Mm -hmm. and I couldn't find anything in the market that was beautiful, that had that European feel. Or sustainable too. That's a big part of what you're Or sustainable. Even these European brands like Jacati, like Bon Bon, only, I would say, I think it's like 13% of their line is sustainable at this point. Right. So you saw the white space. And, you know, it's very hard to take a lot of these heritage brands And then all of a sudden change their production and their pricing and their merchandising model to hit these new sustainability goals. I'm not familiar. What is a heritage brand? Like Bonpont. It's Mm. been around since 1984. Well-established. Gotcha, gotcha. Well-established, yep. 
that's interesting. And I know that Erin, of course, talked about her son having allergy issues and you were sharing a nanny. Like this all came together sort of at the same time. And you started to work on this project. I know it didn't happen overnight. That's clear that these things take time. So walk us through the early days and we can talk a little bit about what you found the most challenging as the two of you starting out. I know you just really launched the brand in January of this year. So it's still young. Walk us through some of the things that we can learn from, from your journey in terms of being a co-founder and co-CEO of something sustainable like this, eco-conscious children's goods. Not to mimic everything that she said, but <laughs> it is hard, very hard to to try to produce product that is soundly, sustainably sourced. Okay. We didn't actually get into that. We didn't specifically get into materials. Yeah. There's a ton of greenwashing out there. And I only felt good putting my name and my efforts behind something where I trusted the factory or the factories that we use. So I ended up contacting an agent that I worked with for the hotel client. And they're based in Portugal. And I said, I'm trying to do this and that. And then also behind her back, I went and I call it my dating with other factory partners. <laughs> we, we went to a bunch of different factory partners. And really what we were trying to do, not many people could do. Because what we're, what we're trying to do is use non-toxic dyes, minimize water usage with the dyes, and work with organic materials. Not easy to have that combination. Not easy to have that combination. So we were able to find it with this unbelievable partner, and we've been working with them since we launched. We did launch five months ago. I kind of say to myself when June 3rd hit, I'm like, oh my God, we're five months young. And we're still spitting up on each other. <laughs> we're, we're not even crawling yet. You can use the baby puns. It's, it yeah, seems to exactly. work. <laughs> exactly. We're not even crawling. It's just so funny. But some of the challenges that we have are, I'm so used to working with brands that have a founder that is well-known. Goop was my client, Gwyneth. She has her own PR team. Of course. I worked on Draper James, which is Reese Witherspoon's collection. So every launch, there was automatically PR. With this one, it's like we're trying really, really, really hard to get an editorial piece. We were able to get, for, very fortunate to get a few local editorial pieces in, but Nothing with a Wall Street Journal, a Vogue, a New York Times, even though we are female founded, we are sustainably sourced, we are artisanal. Those are big challenges for sure. us. You don't have the team behind you. So you were just reaching out on your own. But all those little clips start to build and accumulate all that press. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You had to ramp up in that regard. You're wearing many hats. That is one thing you said, which is really, I mean, it's cliche, but it is just so true for people starting out, even with the breadth of experience, which you mentioned that you're so grateful for. So when did you feel like oh, we're getting over this hump? And you also opened up a brick and mortar location, which I find interesting in terms of your the way you're breaking it down. From day one, I said, if we're going to do this, we have to do everything at once. When I look at the marketplace and I look at Allbirds and I looked at a brand like Glossier and I look at a brand, some of the other only direct to consumer brands, their cost of acquisition to acquiring a customer are very high. And so 
I live in Westchester. So do I. Aaron lives in Greenwich. And I said, I don't think Westchester's large enough for this. I think that we need to do this in your town. And she's like, great. How many minutes away from my house? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Right. Well, Greenwich is an epicenter of spending, let's be honest. <laughs> no, it is. But but even in my town, the residents are 25,000 up here. It's yeah, just sheer numbers. 63,000. So it is sheer numbers. And then by chance, I was on LoopNet, which is this real estate site that you can find leases and stuff to buy. Yeah. And I just put in Greenwich and I was like, oh. Well, this location looks good. Let's go see it. And when these half these moments happen, when Aaron and I look at each other, we're like, "We'll take it." I feel like if we don't have to convince ourselves, then it's right. That's probably very true. And you are right off the avenue, right, right off Greenwich Avenue, which is an excellent spot. We're right off mm-hmm. the avenue. We always say, like, wander down the alleyway. We're right next door to this unbelievable shoe repair store. So, like, people kind of go to the shoes. Then I have the music playing and we have like our, it's, we have flowers outside and we made it look very like a European hideaway. And they're like, what are you? Who are you? (laughs) (laughs) But you know, you did tell me just before we started recording, you spoke a little bit about the importance of investors. Where in this journey do you start to think about that? Because there, I know some people that have started brands, like, as you said, just the two of you ramping up. But when is the point at which you really need to get people on board? How do you know you're ready? So we self-funded this up until a certain point and started fundraising. I would say really fundraising in January when we launched this about five months ago. But during the lag time between while we were waiting for the product and There are certain things like you can't take the pictures for the site until you have the product. And like it's sort of the cart before the horse type of thing. We knew that we were going to have to raise. We did a financial model based on certain goals and we're halfway through our raise. Okay. I have to say it hasn't been easy starting last year, July 2022, sort of all the money dried up and then consumers probably became not as sexy. I think that's going to change. Everything is cyclical, goes through waves. I keep telling Aaron by this time next year, people are going to be throwing money at us just because it does change. We'll have a year underneath our belt. We'll have more learnings. And then we'll also kind of decide what other areas of the nursery we want to take over. Okay. So those are your next steps, so to speak, for the next year, three year, the five year plan. Tell me how it works between the two of you. I love the female co-founder thing. What are the dynamics like? I think people like to have partners. How does it help? And when do you run into trouble? Are you both stubborn? Dig into that a little bit for us. We are both stubborn, (laughs) but we're both very respectful. When you share a nanny with someone, you automatically become a blended family. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. So after that, I feel like now I have, I'm married to two people. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Spend a lot of time together as a co-founder, co-CEO. Yeah. It's really funny. I'm like, I know how to manage my husband and I'm learning how to manage my new partner. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure she feels like at times she's managing you, but no, I mean, all kidding, all kidding aside, you have to have the right chemistry and, and you guys found it. Yes. 
Tell me about also the legacy you want to leave. We love to hear about women doing what you're doing together. I love when my daughters hear about it. Why is it such an important thing for our society? It's a broad question. No, it's actually a very easy question to answer. I have a 23-year-old daughter and I also have a 20-year-old son. Whether it's for my daughter or for my son, I've made them a big part of this. My daughter graduated college last year. She went to Michigan. She has a degree in art, but she also has a minor in creative writing and business. And so I feel like she's this yin and yang. And in fact, yesterday she came into the store and she's like, oh, I don't like this. Do this. Put butterflies here. It's great. It's great to get this feedback. It's great to make them part of this, but also understand this. And then my son's in business school. So like for him, I'm like, let's do, let's look at the model together. Right. Sure. Pick his brain. What do you see? Like what, what's going on? With my daughter, I keep asking her her advice on social. I'm like, I really need your help on this. So as far as just kind of bringing them in and making them a part of it, I feel is great. And then I also taught at FIT for a year. Ah, okay. You really seem like you have such a creative side, even though you have this business CV. Yeah, I'm an octagon. There's like eight sides to me. <laughs> love that. Love that. And, and being able to find something where you can tap all of the sides of the octagon. Is that eight? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's part of what we're doing, what we're talking about here. I think you finding this meaning, this bucketless career gig, if you will, at this stage in your career, hitting all the sides of the octagon. Exactly. I love that. And there's some, there's some things that like challenge me. I mean, I'm very challenged. I mean, I was on the phone today with a friend who was, who's helping me like with meta marketing ads. And that's really hard. Meta changes their ad model all the time. And this is Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel the same way about meta that it's a little bit hard to navigate. I mean, I use advertising for the podcast as well. Yeah, I think it does require a little deeper understanding. I really don't have the time to teach myself all of that. It used to Mm -hmm. be so easy. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I'm just like, I need I need help. Outsourcing a little bit. And there are some times where we're onboarding Saks Fifth Avenue, which is great. Congrats. And right now we're going through EDI, which is a process where they use UPC codes and we'll be able to receive the orders. And it's just kind of this back and forth communication process. And at first I looked at all the paperwork and I'm like, all right, can we do this? And then I contacted a few friends and one of our advisors, and she's like, you can't do this. you got to go here. See, there you go. And that's probably why you also value networking so much, going into the community to speak at these events and reach out and, and meet people that can help you in all these different areas. So if we can just get sort of advice that we'd like to give the listener on finding your purpose professionally, based on your journey, your experiences, like your nugget of wisdom, what would you highlight Back to my octagon. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I didn't start with eight sides. I really focused on one. My one was probably the retail, the buying, the merchandising side. And that led onto the different roles that I had within business strategy, as well as then I wanted to challenge myself with retail. And then I wanted to challenge myself with e-commerce. 
in some cases I did those things because I had young children at home. Right. And sales, you're always on the road. It's a very different scenario. I had to kind of modify. I, I used to say like, I wanted to just take all the stuff that wasn't sexy <laughs> that I could just handle on my own time. Yes. And if work from home was an opportunity back then, I would have been still probably working for a company and not doing something of my own, which I really appreciate. So yeah. once again, like those dots that kind of happen in your life, but really just enjoy the path that you're on, knowing that they're going to lead to something else, to something else, to something else. Right. Another door opens and all those dots get connected in, in, in a pattern, in a way that hopefully lands you where you want to be. So I am really glad we did this. And I'm glad that we actually had each of you because both of your narratives are different and similar and complex enough. I thought, let's do two episodes with the Timo and Violet co-founders. Yeah. Thank you very much, Ronit Weinberg. It was a pleasure. We learned a lot. And very quickly, tell us where you want us to go when the listeners are interested in learning more about your brand. Please visit us at timoandviolet.com. That's T-I-M-O and violet.com. Or DM me on Instagram at timoandviolet. Thank you so much again. I really, really enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you. Be well. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. This is Krista Laurie. Be well. An ironic media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.